You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You don't just live in your home. You live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Welcome to another edition of Nerdificent. I am one half of your host, Danny Fernandez. Ify is out of town this week, but joining me, we have our producer, Joelle Monique. Hey, so excited to be back. Becoming a regular voice on here. I was going to say, so the next couple of weeks, we're going to be figuring out, uh, you know, be patient with us, just what's going on. We want to make sure that everyone is really safe. Absolutely. Uh, with the virus going around. And um, some of you know, I have Lyme uh, disease and Hashimoto. So I just try to be extra careful when it comes to my health, as I hope that you all are. Uh, so today we don't have a guest, but instead, Joelle and I are going to be geeking out about fandoms that really impacted us, impacted our youth, and kind of the things that we want to see in the future. Absolutely. I'm so excited to do this because we were trying to figure out, you know, what do we talk about? We were going to do Bloodshot and then the CDC was like, stay away from crowds. And I was like, so maybe not movie theaters. <laughs> That's no good. Did that get pushed back too? They had the screening uh-huh. at, at a small theater at Live Nation. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't going to do it. I so hard, haven't done a room of more than 10 people since the announcement mm-hmm. of COVID. And I thought, you know, let's just keep that up. Let's just keep it small and tight and inner circle and people I know that are clean and places that haven't had hundreds of people through them. So that kind of left us without a topic for the week. And then we were talking about it a little bit and I thought, well, let's do a nostalgia trip since everyone's probably going to be at home talking about their favorite things or rewatching their favorite shows. Yeah. All of my friends, I've been watching a lot of uh, Disney plus, like all the like Hercules and jungle. Oh, book. Yes. Uh, I've been catching original. up on the new season of clone wars this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Also encore is so good. You haven't watched it. Have you watched it, Joelle? Encore? What is this? What, what are we okay. talking about? Okay. So so Kristen Bell is the host and they brought back. You would love it because you love theater. I do. So high school's their senior <gasps> year. Uh, they bring them back. Some of them from 10 years ago. Some of them from 20 years ago. It's a reunion It's show? a reunion oh where God. they had one week to put back up their senior 
High School Musical. Okay, okay, okay. And so it's all these people that now, like, oh my God. they either haven't spoke. There's a lot of drama. You would be surprised. There's, no, because it's high school theater groups, right? Yes. Just high school? Okay, listen. High school drama is wild. There is this lady who is married. Like, she's married with kids. Did she think about risking it all? Well, no. It's just that she really still holds a grudge about her boyfriend that broke up with her when he um, was a senior. I'm like, ma'am, he was 17. <laughs> like, but she broke my heart, Kevin. Yes. yes that's yes. exactly it. And it was so, like, this is so awkward. And then, um, so most of them get recast in their in their traditional roles. So, like, if someone played Belle in Beauty and the Beast and someone played the Beast or Cogsworth oh or whatever, God. it's so cool. So now they're in their 40s and 50s and they get re they um no some of them most of them get cast some of them get recast though whoa spicy if they're like not really bringing the game as much and they're you know and again they have like five days to put this together Wait, who and decides it's gonna who be, is cast is it okay the cast? so they bring on they bring on directors oh. and it's like directors that have directed um like the lion king like broadway, broadway. Directors? Uh-huh. oh wow yeah so they bring them on in a composer and a choreographer to help them and uh, they kind of have to audition some of the time. And other times they just let them have it. Disney said, we're getting a good show. We don't care if they're amateurs or not. Well, Make it where and they, it's so, if you were a theater, I wasn't in theater necessarily. I did some, but I also was on my drill team. So my dance team and we had to do like competitions and spring show. And it was just like, it brings all of that back of like having, you know, two minutes to change costume change and, and, and like racing and memorizing and all of that. It's just so great. All of this energy is really making me want to call my high school and be like, yo, so how do we do? Cause my so my senior show was a play, not a musical, because we would do a musical every other spring semester. Um, no, every other fall semester. So we did The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe senior year. But junior year, we did Cinderella. And it was awesome because I was the evil stepmom. And so I had really great numbers, but I didn't have to carry the show. And my best mm-hmm. friend played um, my daughter. And they were like evil stepsisters. And they were amazing. Listen, I would do it in a heartbeat. I know all of these ladies, we still talk. All the guys still hang around. Most of them are out east, but they come home to do a cool show. Like most of them are like childhood friends and are still buddies and talk. Disney, hit me up. I'm ready. I have the best Well, I'm sure they're going to do another season of it. So you have to, but yeah, they've done like Pippin. They've done, they did High School Musical. Of course. And I was like, I feel so old. Oh my gosh. Because it's already like 10 something years old. Yeah. They did that the year after I left. They did High School Musical. Yeah. So there was a high school, you know, that graduated 10-ish years ago and they did High School Musical. So they brought them back for that. They did Beauty and the Beast. They did um, like every big high school, you know, every big musical that people do in high school, they did that. Okay, that's definitely gonna be binged in my quarantine Oklahoma. session. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. it. Yes. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. So, so moving on to some of the fandoms and things that have really affected us. Uh, you know, for me, like off the top of my head, uh, DBZ, Sailor Moon. Honestly, all Sailor Moon wasn't in the um, tsunami block. But Toonami itself is what introduced me to anime. Oh, same. Rooney Kenshin was yes. my first anime love. I was like obsessively watching it. Um, that and then, um, oh, oh, Cowboy Bebop and Cowboy Be- what's the one with the kid in the green suit with all his friends. And they've got the cool theme song. Yu Yu Hakusho? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Those three were like really it in those early, like early aught years, late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of awoke it like a next level nerd in me (laughs) because I was very casually watching like 
these superhero animated shows mostly that was very much my introduction to nerddom other than video games like which ones oh man all like dc's entire slate was absolutely my jam it started with batman the animated series Mm -hmm. which i watched with my dad as a kid because they're master works of art and we would like obsessively watch over and over again i got really into batman i like deep down truly love a disturbed character like after batman weathering heights was like my favorite book as a kid funny i was like into like dark angry men it's a problem we should not mine was please tell me it's so on brand the count of monte cristo shut up (laughs) the hero with the like difficult journey but also that movie you know henry cavill is in that yes he is he plays like the little cousin or something so cute he's adorable i was like who is this hot man but he was he was like you know i was like in middle school or something he was like in high school Mm -hmm. maybe college and so it was so funny to then see him re-emerge yeah because in my mind he disappeared appeared for like a decade he was in that <laughs> and then to see him like bust out and be superman i was like of course he did was you not be catch famous. him on the tutors no okay so that was where i got like my like i kind of noticed henry in the background of that it was he's great in it but i was very distracted by our leads holy like it's very gay it's not gay but it's very gay and so <laughs> i was like oh my gosh look at these gay male lovers i love it um but then he popped up in the tutors he plays the king's, I think, again, cousin or brother or something like that. And I was like, who is this stunning, mm-hmm. chiseled, featured man? My God. And the tutors, listen, if you're like a history nerd, it's pretty great. Um, but yeah, so I, I was like watching Batman and like really into uh, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. I'd watch some X-Men sometimes. Storm was dope and they had a great theme song based off a of Whitney Houston song. So I was there. But yeah, then it wasn't until Toonami where it's like, there's like a whole nother level of nerd that you can enter and there are so many shows and sometimes you can listen to them in their original Japanese and I really liked that. Yeah, we had to do that illegally. <laughs> yeah, of course, not. I'm watching a lot of stuff online or mm-hmm. looking for the VHSs or my cousins taped it off of something. I don't know if anyone out there remembers the Black Goku, but that's how I saw a lot of my stuff. Hey! There was a site that they had like, they would upload like the Majin Saga and I was like, what is this? We would be back on like the Saiyan Saga Um so that was like a really big one where I'd watch it. And I think my parents thought I was watching porn straight up. My parents were <laughs> because also I was very like, confused. I was so, I was being so weird about it, <laughs> you know? And like, I, this was a time of like Napster and LimeWire. Yes. And like, yeah. So wait, were you weird about it because it was illegal and you didn't want your parents to question that? Or were you weird about it because some of the content gets weird and that you didn't want too. your parents to I think know my parents it. were like weird about anime. They probably saw it as like the same um, that people... Sometimes when you told tell older people about anime, they think it's hentai. Yeah, like they just think of tentacles and stuff, or like anime girls. Um, which, by the way, if you look <laughs> at '90s comic book covers, truly equally the same. Uh, like some a lot of, those of women, women without actual bone structure, they would skin. fall over. They would fall <laughs> over. If your boobs are that big and your feet are that tiny, and you, you would have fall zero over. waist. Yeah, that's Barbie. The the idea that unobtainable like not even unobtainable but like non-realism there's there's suddenly like in the 90s there was a lack of realism in any way that we shaped the body and stanley has like a total i think we talked about this on the show last week it was a total slam dunk when he's talking to todd mcfarlane about like the way he draws feet which often todd would be like here's like an arrow and some lines pointing at the leg a shoe sure why not I'm glad I missed this phase of comics i didn't get into comics until 2008 and I started with reading the early 2000s comics. So like Cassandra Cain's run on Batgirl was one of the first mm-hmm. books I ever read. Uh, then I got really into like 
<laughs> some of the um where DC was doing the recanonizing of a lot of comics and they would kill off all their characters. I'm having such a brain fart with the name of this series. It'll come to me later. But yeah, so you get into DBZ, you're watching anime, you're sort of hiding it from your parents. What takes it from like a casual watch to like, oh my God, this is part of my identity? Because you have DBZ tattoos. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't know, because I was diagnosed last year with OCD and a part of me feels, I mean, the way that my understanding is that you've actually had it, you've always had it. It's just now you have a diagnosis. And so I, and I've talked to people in our Discord, honestly, in our magnificent Discord about this like uh, last year is that I literally, probably for protective measures, lived slash live in a fantasy land. Mm. And there's a lot of people that are like me, and it's probably why I'm a writer and uh, write the stuff that I do and work in the field that I do, is that when I was, I would, so if you saw a playground, I would see like a space battleship, which is normal for kids, right? Yeah. A lot of kids, I never grew out of that. Yes, kids and forever. So, well, yeah, it can be a little, it can be a little like, you know, uh, problematic at times because you don't want to live in a fantasy world 24-7 and I don't, but sure. I definitely fantasize a lot. I fantasize a lot. Like, I, if you ever, <laughs> whenever I'm walking somewhere with headphones in, I'm like listening to the Halloween soundtrack and like envisioning <laughs> what it feels like to be like in Stopped a horror by movie. A masked man. Well, for me, I literally do think of that, like not that, but like what it's like to live in a horror movie because then I can write that. It's just like, you know, or living in a sci-fi movie. So for DBZ for me was so different because like you were saying, at the time I was watching Snick at night. I was watching Are You Afraid of the Dark and Hey Arnold and and Angry Beavers. And those are all great and awesome, but they're not anime. Yeah, no, anime no, was adult anime. theme. Well, Hey Arnold did deal with adult themes and like had dealt with immigrants and like it was such a great show. But then you have these like buff dudes and spandex and these, you know, hot women. And it was just like who are brilliant and uh, it, like opened a new world for me. And so I became... I would say obsessive. And I think that that's not in a bad way. It was just something that when I was in middle school, my body was changing a ton. I was bullied a lot. I was bullied for liking anime. I went to middle school in Orange County. I think I've said this before, but like everyone was watching like Laguna Beach and I was watching like <laughs> Tenshi Muyo and, and Gundam Wing. And it was weird. Like that was weird that I had a bunch of um, DBZ holographic cards on my binder. And it was just, I was just different. And I would be in role playing chat rooms um, as a Saiyan princess yes! <laughs> when I was like 12. And now I'm like, oh, I think, you know, you had to be a certain age to be in them. I was definitely not that age. There's certainly a bubble for our generation where there was just no Internet protection. Mm -hmm. And our parents were like, sure, she's just on that Internet computer thing over there. And I was pretty aware of like stranger danger and like don't give someone right. your address or like meet up and i had never like went on with those intentions but it was just so fun as you say to sort of continue that fantasy world that had spawned from books and cartoons which i wasn't ready to let go of and clearly still not ready to let go of uh it was it was an extension of that and it became like a nice sort of safety net and a, a way to sort of play with a lot of adult things that weren't happening in my life yet that I was Absolutely. like re ready to explore yeah, but totally. in a sort of safe environment. Then yeah. It was crazy. For me, like my sexuality was such, you know, when you're bullied a lot, that's kind of what you 
you wish that you had that you lean oh, on. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. And so fan fiction for me, I stumbled onto to fanfiction.net, oh, which I always reference. But like on there, it was, you know, these cool high school kids and college kids that I would keep up with because they would have um, one is B Chan, who I love. She still has her site up. This is like so OG oh, wow. for people from like the 2000s. But um, I would read her. She was in college and I would read. She was a great writer, but I would read her erotic fan fiction. And it was so like a time for me to like explore that, like you said, in a safe place when I was being shunned for my body. And it was just like, yeah, it was something that I needed. And that's how I became obsessed with it. Right. So it was like something that when I would come home from school, it was like, this was my safe place. These are my friends in this chat room. And this is like the art that I'm taking in. Um, and yeah, I just remember too, like all of the girls on Tenchi Muyo, I just wanted to look like them so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I came, like I would draw them and I would just think like, oh, that was, this is also the time of like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And I was like, I just want to have like a waist that, that, that's that small, you know? And um, one of my favorite things too about DBZ is Bulma in the very famous episode where they are going to Namek uh, with her, Krillin, and Gohan. She's in Calvin Klein's like the whole time. And she's thick. And it, that was so great to see, you know. She has a big chest and like thighs to go along with it. And I just, and her brain, obviously. But like, hey. it was so nice to see that represented as opposed to just like something that wasn't my size. That was so. sort of what turned me on to Batman too, was like, wow, Batman is out here being awesome and slaying. And there was a lot of like, as I was learning about my depression and becoming to terms with and understanding it. And I would say I was about eight or 11. I didn't have a diagnosis because uh, good therapy is hard to find in the middle totally. of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but I understood that I was like, I'm just not happy and thinking about death a lot. What does that mean? And people would be like, no, you're fine. Like think about other things. Be like, it's really not fine. And Batman was just like always sad, angry in a way that, and he was like, able to get mad in a way that I still can't, I can't get angry. Like, I don't know how to be angry. I don't like it. If I start feeling those emotions, I'm like, tap it down. But I can watch Batman be angry and like punch out Joker's lights and like find the bad guy and get to a solution and a resolution, which is something I was desperately searching for. And so I really liked that. But then these like awesome women would come in and like, here's Harley Quinn, like running amok and like falling She's falling in love in a way that is absolutely toxic and, and I don't want to <laughs> say it all is uh, an yeah. ideation. But at the time, as a 10 year old, you're just like, oh, my God, like to be that madly in love, to like swoon and fall and like feel a connection to somebody. There's something that you could easily identify, you know, as your body is like raging with hormones mm -hmm. and you're feeling overwhelmed all the time. Harley Quinn was and then she had poison ivy, which. Even as a kid, I was reading the lesbian energy between them. And that was the first fan fiction I stumbled upon. Really? It's like Harley Quinn slash Poison Ivy. Smut, essentially. Smut. <laughs> Just like, yes, here are my ladies finally like living out the dream that I sort of wanted to see them in canon. And that was sort of my connection to the online nerd community. What I was going to say when you were talking about comics, I didn't really pick up comics uh, until later like you. But I did technically read comics because I had all the Calvin and Hobbes books. Yeah, Like that to me is Calvin and I were the same. We lived in a fantasy world. We lived in like a world that wasn't ours and we could just play with our imagination uh, and be alone. Um, I also read Far Side. I was obsessed with the Sunday funnies. Like, well, just in general, I'd I started to move from just Sunday to like I would read them every day. 
Um, so that's probably also why I have a love of art. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm like not an illustrator. And so Joelle's been in my place. I have a ton of art. So which much I, beautiful art. Yeah, I love independent art. I always buy art from from artists and people that take commissions and like at cons because it's like the, the thing I can't do. I do a bunch of things, but like I'm sure if I could, I, you know, it wouldn't be as beautiful. But that is what started me into that world the appreciation of art was comics like that. And the comics I saw in the newspaper, cause they were just so um, quick and funny. And it was like that you could show, you know, sometimes they didn't even really need to say anything. Yeah. Um, and I found that fascinating, especially my writer side, because so mm. much of what I do is in writing that it's like, Oh, they're able to tell a story. Sometimes they have one word in the comic. As a writer, it gets really frustrating when you meet an artist who can also write and you're like, mm -hmm. why do you get all the mm -hmm. talent? And they're like, well, I put a lot of work into learning how to draw. And you're like, yeah, okay. I hear you. If I probably put in the work, maybe I could have been like a 10th of the artist you are. Well, you look at people that are like Jorge Gutierrez who did book of life, who's doing my in the three on Netflix. And that's the same thing. Like most of those directors are animators, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, but they also write all of their own scripts. It's so it's so impressive to be able to do both. And then that way you're sort of both giving that narration to the story and driving the eye through the story, which is such a hard thing to do. Like filming at 24 frames in a second, a comic page, you have 22 pages and however many panels feasibly fits and you can read easily in those pages. So it's like such a challenge to get like that exact perfect moment that will explain to readers like what a character is thinking when you get to that when you're like no thought bubble and you're like, I know what's happening. Like that's magic. It transcends. And I think I too sort of once I got into so after fan fiction, I got into a site called Comics Alliance, which I don't know if you yeah, ever Yeah, it sounds super familiar. Listen, Comics Alliance ran in 2011. It I think I want to say like 08 to 2015 it ran, but in 2011 it was helmed by a woman. I want to say her it's definitely Laura maybe Patterson. Um who was maybe the best editor of all time. She came in and whipped this team of like really talented writers into an organized force of comic book goodness. Like they were on top of nailing like any kind of scandal that was happening in the community. They were the first ones I on do it remember that. interviews. Yeah. Um, but they also had such a lovely. Wait, is it Laura Hudson? <laughs> Laura Hudson. Thank okay. you. And what I really like enjoyed about Laura's time as editor in chief of Comics Alliance was that she preached how to get into comics. And that became like such an important aspect of going to the site for somebody who is new and actively maxing out a credit card on purchasing comics, like figuring out like not just how to read them, but how to appreciate the art, as you mentioned earlier, because I used to speed read comics. I'd be like, great, done, great, done. She'd be like, maybe go back and like examine the art and like see how the panels are touching you. And then they would turn you on to work like um, mind management, which would have stories within stories. They would um, print in, sometimes in 3D so that you had to have 3D glasses. It was like the blue and red ink over each other. In the margins of the comic book, little like notes is a detective novel and a mystery. And so you're trying to solve the mystery before the end of the series. And they have stuff on the back and on the front covers. And if you lined up the front covers, sometimes they would have stuff. It was the most immersive time in comics that I've ever had. And I miss that site every day with every fiber of my being. <laughs> it was the site I like most wanted to write for. It got sold to Yahoo and totally tanked. It was so unfortunate. But there's, like, I think if you can find those online communities for a minute, Tumblr had spaces like that. Oh, yeah, that Tumblr. Were just, oh, so supportive Well, I was on DeviantArt. Oh, yeah. DeviantArt Talk was our pre-Tumblr. DeviantArt, I mean, one, you could find, Rule 34, you could find anything on there. 
Um, but they also, a lot of photographers started to come into that space, which was really cool. But I just adored deviant art. I mean, it was just getting to have your favorite characters, seeing them in alternate universes and alternate roles. Mm -hmm. And it just, I was, oh, I just am in awe of everything on there. And then Tumblr came along and a lot of the kids that were like, really into Tumblr and really big on Tumblr. I don't know if they knew of the DeviantArt community, you know, that was there probably a decade before. Yeah, it's still up. But I mean, it's still up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, can yeah. Still, you can still visit DeviantArt. You can still post your art on DeviantArt. But something that was really cool about it back in the day was, like, watching artists improve. Because, like, I was in yes. college, like, high school and college, watching, like, my friends put it on there. And then you're, like, essentially have an entire entire bio of work and for some people it was like a decade 15 years and so you're seeing the growth from like those first posts to today it was really impressive and it's sort of i think as artists we're often on the internet looking for support and encouragement to keep going like making money in art is next to impossible and then like you have to work even when you're not inspired and that's really hard and you have to yeah. work even when the work is not good and you're like god i hate what i'm working on it sucks so like DeviantArt really created a space where you could get like excited about somebody else's work, which hopefully, you know, would turn into excitement for your own work. We have to take a really quick break and then we're going to hop back more into the impact that our fandoms have had on us right after this. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. 
Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we are back. And since Joelle and I are horror babies, that was another huge influence in our lives. Do you remember the first horror movie that you saw? I think we talked about this a little bit in our last episode with Chauncey. Yeah. So uh, the first horror movie I remember seeing is, okay, first one I remember seeing in theaters is Jurassic Park, which is technically not <laughs> a horror movie. It's terrifying. I was five, so it was wow. a lot. What were your parents doing? My, <laughs> so my dad and my house picked the movies, and he has no concept of what is acceptable for it's children to watch. It's just about an amusement park. <laughs> he would show us, what did we see when we were young that really scarred me? Uh, Spirit, which is an Alec Baldwin film that's not at all that scary, but as a kid, there's like a talking dagger that flies around, and it really got under my skin. And then Super Troopers, not Super Troopers, um, uh, oh, the Alien. Movie. Wait, is the one with Tim Allen? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, it's an Alien movie, something Troopers. Oh, Starship Star- Troopers. Starship Troopers. Yeah. Y'all, I saw this movie when it came out. I want to say that's 98, 97, somewhere. I'm like nine or 10 years old when this movie hits. And there's a scene where a guy gets whipped that like destroyed me. And my father was like, look at the screen. It looks like a crayon. Like it's nothing. It's so cheap. And I'm like, dad, I'm scared. And he was like, I don't care. Just watch the movie. (laughs) He did not. He was like, really just wanted us to be in movies. It was the one place where we could like connect. He was not... He's like a big, lovable teddy bear, but also mostly he was into like sports and old school music, which didn't either that my shit. my family too. <laughs> okay, for me. So, so my family here, our oldie station is K-Earth 101, and that's what I had to listen to. Yeah. My family would not listen. Like, my family is so super Catholic, and we, so I grew up listening to the oldies, like 100%. And I still listen to those two when I'm like cleaning, or it just makes me feel like <laughs> just home. Just this morning, totally. You know? But like, it was so funny, because there was a certain point in time, probably by my the time my parents had their third kid, they were like... Screw it. I mean, whatever. Like, we were not allowed to watch The Simpsons and stuff when I was growing up. And then all of a sudden, there was like some age we hit. They were like, whatever. You can just watch whatever. Please leave us alone. Yeah. So then we came in with uh, King of the Hill. Yeah. And that was great. And and, um, then we could listen to Kiss FM. And it was like, we could listen to like Nelly and stuff, you know? (laughs) Got all his albums. It was like everything was switched on for us. Uh, but it was funny. And then, of course, anime, and uh, which I don't think they half paid attention to some of the stuff we were watching. I think they thought it was too bloody, even mm. though Cartoon Network did censor a ton of it. I think to them it was still it's still pretty violent um, compared to, again, like uh, Angry Beavers or Kablam or something. Right, right, right. Or God forbid, a Ren and Stimpy. But that's the thing. My parents were so weird. I feel like that's Catholic families in general. Mm. But my dad would buy us Ren and Stimpy comics. What? When he, yeah, the comics were so dope. Um, when he would go on like a business trip, he would bring us all back like a Ren and Stimpy comic. I don't know if he got it like at the airport or whatever, um, but he'd always pick one up for us. And yeah, that that is also another funny element of animation, like the close-ups, you know, which yes. um, if y'all are have never watched the show, but you have probably watched SpongeBob. SpongeBob does a lot of those gross close-ups of like a pimple or him all dried out and it looks disgusting. Yeah. Ren and Stimpy really did a ton of that um first. Yeah, a lot of really gross toenail mm-hmm. 
but butts, Kimberly, bo- boogers, jokes. It was foul and yet so damn entertaining. Uh, there was a, like truly a lot to enjoy, and I I think the horror movie that had the most sort of impact in my childhood it was Alien. Because we watched that movie a lot, like a lot, a lot. Uh, I mostly sci-fi horror growing up. We watched like some slashers here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad was really into Alien. He was, it was like, it's a movie theater experience that has stayed with him. He can like recount detail for detail what it was How like funny. watching that movie for the first time. And so I got into it. And of course, here's Ellen Ripley in her giant machine taking down aliens. It like really spoke to me, uh, not just as a lady, but sort of from a filmmaker standpoint. It's one of the first movies where I was like, could I... Could I be a part of this? Like, this mm-hmm. film is magical. There's so much energy going in. That movie starts out so unassuming. And my my dad would never tell me what a movie was about. He would just put it in and be like, just watch it and enjoy. And so I would. Um, and there's something uh, I think about horror that really bonded us because we both like to be scared. And neither my brother or my mother are truly into, like, horror movies. I think if you can scare me that you it's impressive so little things with horror because I've seen so many horror movies and just love and adore and Ben like we've talked about on here in real haunted places including spending the night in some of them uh, for investigative shows and so few things scare me and um, Blair Witch I remember changed the game for me changed the game it was just so oh my gosh it the fact that you could do that on such a low budget, I mm. love also paranormal activity, same thing, those like found footage type of, of found footage in general, just like changed the game, I feel like. And so, cause, cause in the eighties, you know, the seventies and eighties, we had a lot of those slasher uh, movies, which were great. But then the fact that it was like this thing that you couldn't even reason with or talk to, or, yeah. and, you know, that was just like, that to me was terrifying and, um, what was another one? I had another. Oh, The Ring. The Ring. Same thing. Like, oh. I don't know. Like, I was just so used to scary movies that were like The Haunting and House on Haunted Hill and like. Also just classics. Kind of, oh, great. But they were just different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when The Ring came out, uh, even though it was, you know, an American remake, um, it just changed the game. I was terrified. I was terrified for like weeks. That starts Naomi Watts, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's something really intriguing about that film and it comes at such like an interesting time because it's just post the VHS. So you're like really getting into DVDs at this point. And so there's something like a throwback. Like I had a VHS player in my room because I had the like downgrade TV and I would absolutely if somebody just handed me a VHS, pop it in and be like, well, let's see what's on it. The idea that then you could be haunted unendingly by something that for me, again, as we were talking about, like sort of being a nerd and living in our fantasy my TV and I were real good friends. I watched a lot of television coming up. Uh, and it was maybe the first horror movie that felt very much designed for me to be scared. You know what I mean? Like everything else, like I'm not going to go to a random mansion in the middle of nowhere with, <laughs> with some strangers and maybe yeah. inherit it. Like I'm not going to uh, a secret island and discovering uh, unearthed dinosaurs. But I might find a VHS and a little girl may haunt me out of the TV. Super scary. The first horror movie I think that really got me as like, you know, that sort of teenage years when I was like going to the movie theater by myself. Uh, I'm going to go with Saw. Mm. Had such a huge and profound that was impact also cha- on me. Yeah. So many of those were like uh, James Wan. 
Yes, but what I was going to say is just they were game changing. They were oh, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just so different than, you know, and that's hard to do. Horror has been around, you know, since we've been able to tell stories and like to be surprised, to have a concept be, you know, uh, turned on its head, essentially. But um, what I was going to say, one other point I was going to say about the ring before we move on is that it was just uncomfortable. Like oh, the yeah. video that they showed, that is, I think, what got me. It wasn't just like, here's this ghost, blah, blah, blah. It was like, here's this horse. Here's this mirror. Here's this weird spinning chair. Here's this. And it like tapped into a part of my brain that just, it, I don't know. Other other things have tried to like copy that since then where it's just like it doesn't make sense. And that's what's scary. Um, but yeah, it was just uh, also side note. I saw it in the mall in Texas with a bunch what? of when I was uh, in Dallas with a when I went to high school there, and that was back when you used Polaroid cameras and uh, or the disposable cameras. I had a disposable camera and a bunch of my friends like that's what you would do when you went out is take your disposable camera, and my mom picked me up from the mall and uh, gave me my my uh developed film and i had these white sneakers on no. that reflected oh yeah oh no and so my face and my sneakers were smeared <gasps> and i freaked out and my mom thought it was the funniest thing <laughs> like she didn't do it she just thought it was so funny that i was like having a meltdown as a teenage girl because my face and all of the photos was smeared it coming out of that movie and having that surprise you'd be like oh i watched the video technically what do we do now? I totally see that like being unnerving and like I couldn't really sleep after seeing Saw. There was something so eerie about not just a, a serial killer, but a guy who sets up a trap specifically for you. Listen, and, and then just to like mentally F with a person like I, I'm going to spoil the ending of Saw, guys. Oh, my gosh. I'm no, it came so out like what, sorry. like 10, 15 years ago. But him close like it has such a perfect like American cinematic final ending with the closing of the door and the shadow and the way they use light to sort of isolate both of those men in that moment. It It's a shot that stays with you and lingers for a long time. I don't know if it's cliche for the, the youngins now. I know, you know, as things age and become part of the zeitgeist culture, there's a. Uh, less of an impact for example if you were to watch star wars and luke i am your father it doesn't hit as hard as it does for those original people who were like what is going on do you remember the ending of blair witch yeah they're just in the basement he's just standing in, in the, corner. the corner no yes no that i don't is like what it stays, at all that is what stays with me and blair witch people like i know people that love the thing that when you think of it it's like you think of that final oh absolutely scene and it just haunts the heck out of you because the the thing that fades into black is like the back of the witch creature, like coming across the lens. Right. Yeah. See, that's a that's a no, no for me. And I wonder, too, has in your work your like love of the Blair Witch shown up anywhere? Has it popped up yet? Well, here's the thing. So we so I work in drama and comedy, but comedy Comedy and horror overlap so much. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about this, but essentially, you know, you have the punchline, you have the buildup. That's why a lot of horror, a lot of comedy people are in horror. Um, and you need, you. it has like a cadence and a rhythm to it. And so my favorite thing about what I do in comedy is misdirects. And horror, you need a lot of misdirects. You never want the audience to know what's coming. 
um, you want to catch them off guard or they're so safe and they're they're like, I know what's going to happen. I know he's a killer and I feel good about it mm. and they can feel safe. And then you pull the rug out from them. That's what you want to do. And the same thing with comedy. You never want them to like, oh, yeah, I know what joke they're about to make here, you know, and then you do a misdirect. And so I, I those are very similar things. Um, I don't know necessarily. I think the way that I paint. So a lot of my uh, Ben Blacker, who was on uh, our Hitchcock episode, another person that I've watched a lot of, but um, he's also a comedy person and he read the pilot, the one that I sold. I think, did I send it to you yet? You have I will. I will. I will. Send, send me that pilot, I will send Danny. It to you. He read it and it was so funny because um, when he was doing the WGA staffing boost, he said, you know, Danny's, um, he tweeted and said something like Danny's direction, her stage directions are like equally as interesting as the actual dialogue. And that is something from having a horror background that I love to paint the picture of the setting that you're about yes. to walk into. And not everyone does that. You know, it's kind of just like joke, 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 joke. And I'm like, well, I want you to be in the room. I want you to feel how this person feels or the weight of just what they just said. Um, and so I feel like horror and sci-fi, to be honest, has really affected that. Yeah, I feel that way, too, in that like horror and sci-fi are definitely the biggest genres in throughout my life. Like they're the things that I watch the most. If I'm usually looking for a movie to watch, it's one of those two. Sometimes uh, a historical drama will enter the picture because I, I love opulence and um, a good bitch slap or water How toss. Funny. It really <laughs> fills my soul to watch women just tear each other down simply with words like amazing, uh, the confidence, the power, because see, people have to believe what you're saying in order for it to hit and work. It's that's really I think what's come up is like I like. I like horror movies with serial killers that are like uh, very dynamic. So, of course, Silence of the Lambs became like a very early obsession where I was like, what kind of person stays calm while killing? That freaked me the hell out. Yeah. Usually it's rage or that person's a psycho. But this guy was just like, no, I just like to kill and I'm pretty good at it. You could keep me in this cage for as long as you want, but only really until I'm done being here. There's something about the meticulousness and personal connection that really drives my stories. Like I don't like stories about here are some strangers that just met up. No, they're always teams who've met or have been together for a long time. Um, people dealing like a lot of times in comics, they get frustrated because as soon as people get together, they're like, now they're divorced or separated. Same thing in TV shows. If you've been pining for a Rachel or Ross, I don't know why, but maybe you did that. <laughs> uh, then they got together and then they fell apart. And there's something about keeping them apart. That's supposed to keep the drama fresh, but being in a relationship, any kind of relationship is going to cause drama. It's two people trying to figure out how to cohabitate or operate together. Those are much more interesting to me. And I think horror gives you that opportunity, particularly when you have like a very fanciful villain who's intimate, has intimate knowledge of the person they're preying on or the person that um, they're trying to get back at. I like those aspects. And I, I try to keep those in the forefront of my writing because I think it's much more interesting to watch than just strangers or a meetup. We, we know what an introduction sounds like. There's only so many, but relationships, anything can happen. It's haywire in there. One of the things that uh, I was going to say is God bless Goosebumps because they got me to oh. read. But Goosebumps and Scary Stories to Tell in that the Dark. That was my jam. Is I love the fact that they treated kids like adults mm -hmm. and were not afraid of murdering us. <laughs> so we come back now to this thing you were saying about anime, which really resonated with me. This idea of like 
I understand that you have very adult thoughts and feelings and you're trying to understand, like being a child is so frustrating. And it's the thing that I tried to really like remember as I was becoming an adult. And I think I don't ever want to forget about childhood because there are adults who are like, I hate children. I'm like, that's just a little person. Like, I don't understand why there's animosity toward children. I get that they can be frustrating. They have a lot of questions. Sometimes questions feel like accusations when you don't know the answer. You're like, why are you asking me this? I don't know the answer and I can't help you. And now I'm frustrated by my lack of knowledge. I get that. But kids are trying to figure out how to be who they are, which seems simple, but is maybe one of the most complex things we are literally all tasked with. And I think finding things that had adult themes for me, Avatar The Last Airbender was a huge impact because <laughs> it was like, man, here are kids who are going to war, not because it's cool, not because they have fancy machines, but because they're literally fighting for their liberation. Uh, here and and the art style was beautiful and they're falling in love in a way that doesn't feel trivialized or silly. Um, I, I like things that tell kids your big emotions are valid and have an impact because uh, I think too many of the things that we get, especially we got as kids, was just like here's like some action and, and like right. some filler and it's fun and it's flashy. Uh, and I, I needed more to connect to. I was a big reader as a child and as I was adjusting from reading to watching. Or as my reading was emerging with my watching, I wanted to feel that same kind of connection. I also wanted to say that it was really progressive at the time for the Disney movies that came out for, uh, sorry, I'm switching gears, but <laughs> I was thinking of it when you were talking about adults and being treated like an adult and like the progressive themes. And it was just like the women, yes, some of them were still g going after men because again, it was a product of its time but still relatively progressive to have someone like Belle be like, mm, I don't want to marry you. Are you kidding the me? The hot guy in town. Ew. And then, yeah. And then to have um, Meg from Hercules be like, men are an actual disease. <laughs> Let's talk <laughs> about it. She's like, I am not going to fall for this. Um, you know. I love Meg maybe the most as an adult because there's this such a wonderful aspect of like, you know, Meg fell in love and did the whole like, young and and fancy free sort of lifestyle and then she got hurt and so it took a lot for her to be like oh i can love again and meg also had to get herself out of her bad situation she made a bad deal but was like genuinely a good person but just so hurt and like as a kid who was bullied like the idea of being able to move past that was oh my god for me it was just funny that line is like no man is worth the aggravation is something you would hear now yes. in today like that would be and people would be like of course you know because we're on this track and it was like it was kind of fascinating that they said that stuff you know yeah jasmine i'm uh i'm not I'm surprised, surprised to be, to be one. one yeah whoa listen i'm for and really connecting with the fact that this is like a big deal uh and there's something sometimes again it's, I, I'd be interested to hear how like young kids, because I feel like Disney is one of those entities that doesn't grow up. You're being introduced at the same age. You know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. I'm the same age as my mom when she was introduced to say like a, a, a Robin Hood or Pinocchio or whatever. And so we have the same emotional parallels because even though we're living in different times, we're at the same mental state. And so I wonder if kids are getting, you know, that Aladdin at the same time and feeling the same. And if it's concurrent with like a Frozen, which has very similar messages, or if they're distinguishing that it's separate in time. Because I never, as a, you know, they're animation. It doesn't necessarily right. feel out of time. Yeah.
I don't know. Kids, tell us. Let us know. <laughs> if kids listen to this, um, we have to take another quick break, and then uh, we're going to geek out just a little bit more, and then we're going to read some of the things that y'all wrote oh, us yay! about your favorite fandoms and how they impacted you right after this. And we are back. So... Speaking of media, we've covered a lot of things, comic books, sci-fi, horror, animation, um, anime, same thing. But yeah. Um, What about music? Oh, man. Music is like a very present part of my life through. Was there someone that broke on the scene that you were like felt more represented I was really into Destiny's Child and Usher. Like, you couldn't tell me anything about those, like, two entities that wasn't, like, I just loved them. They were all over my walls. Like, I had pictures of Usher on my ceiling, which my mother found very disturbing. She's like, why? And I was like, I could reach there, and my closet (laughs) is covered. Don't think too much into it. Um, Every Destiny's Child album ever, and I cut up the CD, like, inserts, and I put them all over my walls. Uh, Aaliyah, when she passed, was, like, huge. But I think... For me, as a black girl, I didn't really know that I was light-skinned because I was the only black kid in my class. Yeah. And so Brandy was like it for me for a hot second. I was like, look at this black girl. <laughs> like, she has braids. She has, like, a name that's sort of different and maybe nobody ever has heard of. And, like, nobody had heard the name Joelle from the town I was in. And, like, she was trendy and, like, so cool. Like, she went to prom with... um uh kobe bryant and i was like oh my god like wow so i every time she was doing something i was trying to imitate it and then also she was an alto and like being a young girl especially in the 90s like that deep soulful voice was great on older women but women that were sort of geared toward our demographic were like sopranos and princesses and very light there was something very cool about a girl who wasn't necessarily a fighter, but wasn't afraid to scrap and who had down deep vocals where I was just like, this girl and me are the same and I love her. Yeah. How about you? Well, I was going to say on top of that, when I was listening to you talk, I was thinking of Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott <gasps> was so different for her. Te- like I was watching her interview with Jesus and Marrow and she was same. even like, she was like, it was weird. The the music video she was doing, people were like, <laughs> she said people were messaging her like, what are you doing? Like Sean you're going Combs wild. Like, yeah. please don't do this. Yeah, where like her head would come off and you know, that whole like snake thing she did and like- And the Get Your Freak her, On video, yes. yes. Everything was just wild. Like she just did not care. <laughs> and again, it was a time when even the women of color in our lives were tiny. Tiny. They were still tiny. Asses were not yet a thing. And their noses were little and, and you know, they had very petite features. Eurocentric and you had features. Yes, you had Missy come out and just not care and, like, just make the best music. We did multiple dances to her uh, at my high school. I love it. And Taste. Um, yeah, of course. Like, it was <laughs> the funnest thing to choreograph. And uh, that is just so I can't imagine how many people's childhoods and lives she affected just by being like in the top spot on TRL. Yeah. Missy you know, was not her only, body, her yes. the way she was not like you she know, has a chronic illness, too, which yeah. I was always like, really she's great. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the idea that she was able to like manage this thing that was so challenging and still put out this wild music, the fact that she was doing music that was. Yes, for women, but again, had like a lot of power and strength behind it. The fact that she was collaborating with these guys, the fact that she was making her own beats was like 
wild to me because that's such a dude's game. Uh, and she succeeded and thrived and recreated and, and has people aspiring. And I think to your point that doing dances to her music was so fun, like she's one of the few artists, like maybe with a Janet Jackson type or Madonna oh, yeah. type who like really puts the dancer front and center frequently in their music. And I think that there's something to be said about like, you know, Missy, who has this like bigger body keeping up with all these dancers and like rocking it out. Yeah, seeing her was always a joy. For me, it was also Selena was such a, both being from Texas and Southern California. I mean, she was big everywhere, but of course she was huge there. And she just represented like so many. So I was younger at the time, right? When she came out, I just wanted to look like her. I just wanted to look, my cousins were gorgeous like her. And I was like, oh, I just want, like, it was just so funny. I just wanted to grow up so quickly. And I have a picture of her, uh, framed in my bedroom and it's her holding her Grammy and it's just because it was like we can you know she was a aside from being you know a, a pop culture icon she was a business owner she was a fashion designer and it was just so I think unexpected and so I try to remind myself that we can be unexpected but she uh she represented such a neat it was interesting listening to you talk about being light-skinned because for me in the communities I grew up in, I was Mexican, a hundred percent. Like there was no question about it. You know, when you're in when you're in uh, in Orange County or you're in Dallas or wherever. A lot of my family's also in San Antonio, and there's actually a very and so I always thought that until I would say honestly, like five years ago, when oh. I realized there's such a difference between Mexican Americans from Chicanos and Mexicans, and that is really a uh, uh, subject of a lot of debate in my community and it never dawned on me and so her being chicana her having this you know they tackle it in the selena movie but essentially feeling like you have to be you know more mexican than mexicans and more american than the americans you're kind of tugged you don't really fit in in anywhere um and that was my experience growing up but it was so fascinating to me because I never questioned it. It was like I was it was actually already bubbled in on my Scantron. Like I couldn't even <laughs> bubble it in because Damn. my last name. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just very it was very clear. My family and I weren't white. And so uh, and so I never I never thought anything of it until I really had to look back at like, OK, these are very actually different experiences. And so Selena represented that of like having to toggle between these two worlds uh, and how can you do honor to your heritage, but also accept where you live and that that experience is different. Um, and so it's only something that I've really tackled, honestly, being here in L.A., where it was very much like a topic of debate where I had to like reflect on that. And and I just started calling myself Chicana because that's what I am. Um, I didn't come, you know, I wasn't born in Mexico uh, like like other members of my family. And so just very fascinating. So she represented so much to me of that toggle limbo space. Uh, and what when you're a child of of immigrant parents uh, or your first or second generation, like what that looks like. And you want to take care of your family and do right by your family and also trying to fit in here. So she was definitely a huge impact. And I it's wild to me because, you know, she passed away so many years ago for people that are just discovering her music, for right. people that are like that. We have the Selena show on Netflix coming out for someone that was so young to have such an impact 
to this day. To this day. You know. She is. It's so funny. Like growing up, like every brown girl was like an immediate icon to me, like of any level of success. I was like, wow, look at her out there doing it. Because again, I like Princess Jasmine was like my brown princess. Like they're like, who's your favorite princess? It was Jasmine. And then Pocahontas. And then it really didn't matter who they were. Like watching them became sort of an obsession. And when I caught on to Selena, which was later, I'm very Midwestern. Um, when the movie came out, I was like, oh my God, who is this queen? And look at her outfits and the fact that she was like into fashion and making her own clothes. Yeah, it reminds me of Beyonce and like her mom. You know, it's like you start totally. out, you're like making all, you're bedazzling your own jeans. Yes, you cutting know? up your bras, mm-hmm. making it work, you're convincing the- dad that this is appropriate. So funny. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, shout out, shout out to the brown girls of the late 90s, early 2000s who were holding it down for all of us who needed representation. Yeah, so let's go ahead and read some of these. I'm going to try and yes. pull them up. Here we go. I've got one. Okay. Uh, so we're going to read some of your guys's uh, early loves, the things that got you into nerdom. So this is from Token Superhero on Twitter. That's says, my friend Marcus. Marcus, hey. He says, after the first Avengers came out, a bunch of guys and I started talking via Twitter and Facebook, and eventually we all met up. We would pick a place of where we lived, Arizona, Texas, New York, and fly to each other's homes. Wow. Now, eight years later, we still do it. We've all become a family. We've attended each other's weddings, all three, a funeral, all. And our families are forever entwined, all because of our love for comics, which is all we typically text to talk about besides our family. Marcus, that is so charming. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. I have one from Ryan at Ryan Film Lover. He said, Dragon Ball Z, if it was for this glorious show... Dragon Ball Z, if it was for this glorious show, I don't think I'd care about anime. I probably mm. wouldn't love kung fu movies or sci-fi movies. It's something I will always hold close to my heart. And he has a cabinet, actually, that has, like, Shenron and Goku Oh wow! in it. I love uh, a pure fandom. This one's from High King Fen. I met my husband through a Hunger Games role-playing on Tumblr. And if I'm... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See, there you go, Tumblr. Yeah, and then if I'm alive right now, it's because the magicians and its fandom. uh, From one person to another, the magicians as a queer, um, magic-loving, graduate, uh, obsessed fandom is so beautiful and loving. Um, I'm... I can't believe this show is ending. It breaks my heart. I'm looking everywhere for a sign of somebody picking it up. I totally get how that show could connect and save your life because... It lifts my spirits a lot. I have one from Michael Smith. It is my first two loves are Star Wars and film. One led to the other. My dad always Mm -hmm. tells me the first movie I ever watched was Jaws when I was two years old, (laughs) sitting right in front of the TV, giggling away, demanding again (laughs) and again whenever it would end. No memory of that, although it totally tracks. I don't really remember anything before Star Wars. I have love for all three trilogies, much of the expanded universe, planning on doing a deep dive this year. And those pieces of film magic opened the gates of my exploration into so many other films, many of which I probably saw a little too young. I'm sure we all did. Um, I watched Starship Troopers. There you go, Joelle. Oh, my God. You and me are the same person. In the theater with my dad. I was seven, and I had already seen all the Alien films. Wow, (gasps) you guys really are. Oh, my God. Our dads have to meet. Not the best filters, but (laughs) for better or worse, film, particularly Star Wars, has shaped my life and who I am in a lot of ways, and my flame for both continues to burn brighter every day. Listen, I don't know how we're not best friends yet, but let's get on that. This one's from Samir underscore T on Twitter. 
After The Matrix blew all our minds in 99, I joined a Matrix movie board online called The Last Free City, or TLFC. I made friends from all over the world and even met a couple of them IRL. After many years passed, the website closed down, but we have a Facebook group of about 20 of us keeping in touch and excitedly waiting for Matrix 4. Other than Star Wars, it's my favorite fandom, a lot less toxic BGW. I can imagine Trinity does not allow for your toxicity to exist in the Matrix fandom. It's true. Uh, Rachel Cushing, our friend Rachel Cushing, said, I can't remember a time when I didn't know who Frodo, Gandalf, and Gollum were because my parents were telling us Tolkien stories since my sister and I were toddlers. That's so cool. That is beautiful. We bonded over those books, and it's always something we can love together. We saw every film together on opening night. I flew home from LA to do that in 02 and 03. And the four of us even have matching Lord of the Rings tattoos. The stories represent escapism as it's most magical for me. But I also always think of my family whenever I revisit Middle Earth. Uh, This one's from uh, our fan and person we love, Bruce Rockasi. One of mine was Stargate SG-1. The cast and the writing were really good, but it was also one of the shows me and mom used to really connect as fans. It definitely has a soft spot on my heart because of this bond. I also watched Star Trek with my mama. She was very much into um, Star Trek and musicals, and that's where our nerddom lied. And oh my God, that's so cute. I love it. Well, thank you all for listening to a stroll down memory lane about the fandoms that kind of shaped us and made us the women that we are. And thank you for sharing your own fandoms and how they connected you and your family. Yes. Um, keep following the uh, Nerdificent on the uh, Twitters and IGs, and we'll try to keep you guys posted about what's happening uh, coming up. And please stay safe out there. Wash your hands and, you know, where you can, as you can. And we know it's a privilege to uh, stay home. But if you can, you know, try to stay home. Yeah. I'm at Ms. Danny Fernandez and all the things. Uh, what about you, Joelle? You can find me all over the internet at Joelle Monique. That's J-O-E-L-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. Yay. And like we always say, stay nerdy. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.